Well, don't you love the first of the two lessons, the old and the gospel lesson? You got people mad at God. Love it when people get mad at God. We're not going to talk about those passages, but it's interesting, huh? They're mad at God for being, what, too merciful, too generous, right? So it's interesting. So um, I'm not going to talk about those, though. I'm going to focus in on what to me is the hardest of the passages we read, which is actually from, from Philippians chapter 1. Um, we'll get to angry people with God later on maybe, but, uh, but that's where I want to look at with you. So if you've got a Bible there, oh, you don't have a Bible. If you have it on your phone or um, maybe it's going to be put up on the wall behind me, but I want to look with, the, with you at Philippians for a little bit. I'll just be honest with you. This is a hard passage for me. It's a great passage, one I've memorized. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Probably a lot of you know that verse. I find Paul's longer letters easier, which is why I'm teaching through Romans and I taught through Corinthians, because when Paul has more time, he unpacks things. And, and the problem with Philippians is Paul just gets right to it really up front. But you need to understand a little bit about where Paul's coming from. Paul is in Rome. He, remember when he writes to the Romans, he tells them he wants to come and visit them. Well, now Paul is in Rome, but he didn't get there the way he wanted to. He's arrested has to appeal to Caesar, if you know, from in Jerusalem, and is transported, almost dies about four times, and finally arrives in Rome. He's now in house arrest. Not the worst place to be, because jails are bad in the first century, but home arrest, it's okay because you're there. The funny thing is that there's a guard assigned to Paul, and Paul says in the very first verses that he loves the fact that all the imperial guards now know about the gospel. Well, why? Because as they rotate through and they come to stay with Paul and to be his guard, he says, all right, let's talk about God. Let's talk about the Lord. You know, let's, you know, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And so Paul uses it to evangelize to the point that he says in the first verses that the entire imperial guard knows about Christ. Oh, would it be awesome if the person who gets rotated to our cubicle, who sits by us at work, you'd be, we'd be like, all right. Another person to share the gospel with. Another person to hear about the life-giving power and hope that's in Jesus Christ. Well, that's where Paul is. He's waiting a verdict. Um, Roman courts did not move quickly. There was no speedy trial. Paul has been held. We know that he spends at least two years there because that's what the book of Acts says. And Luke, who's very detailed, gives us that information that for two years, we know Paul is in Rome in prison. Um, we don't hear in the scriptures what happens to Paul, but church tradition teaches us that eventually Paul is, is found guilty uh, of insurrection. Um, why? Well, because Nero, the, the, the Caesar, the, the, the king, if you will, of the Roman Empire, had declared that he, in fact, was the savior of the world and that he was the Lord. So we use those words Lord and Savior and there's nobody really competing for them in our present world. But in, in the time of Paul and Jesus, the, the Caesars of Rome considered themselves to be Lord and Savior of the world. And so to declare that Jesus in fact was the Savior of the world, that he was the Lord of Lords and King of Kings is a, a serious accusation. And Again, like I said, we don't hear that in the words of Scripture, but we know from church tradition that Paul is eventually martyred for his faith. So here's Paul. He's in Rome. He's been waiting there, and he writes back to the Philippians. The Philippians live at Philippi, which is a Roman colony in what we would think of as modern Greece. 
And they're up there, Macedonia, ancient Macedonia. And, and here's Paul. He's planted this church. Remember, this is where uh, Paul encounters the jailer and he's set free. And, the, and Lydia, the seller of purple, and the, the young girl, the slave girl with uh, a demon that he cast out and gets in trouble because he, he ruins their, um, you know, their stream of income. And so this is, Paul starts this church in Philippi. Now he's writing back to the Philippians and he is engaging with them about the work of the gospel that's going on in Rome. Giving them an update. You know me, you love me, let me tell you what's been going on. And he, he starts off by saying, I'm astounded at how the gospel is abounding. It's advancing. And, and here's what's going on. Paul talks about the imperial guards. He also talks about the fact that some of his brothers in Rome there are many Christians in Rome, have become really bold in their witness and they're sharing about Jesus. Paul also talks about some people who have taken the opportunity that since they, they're, they're, they're against Paul and so since he's in jail, they're using it to sort of write, to tell their own version of Jesus and to sort of write the things that they don't like about Paul's gospel Probably something to do with, with Jewish rights and the need to become more Jewish if you wanted to be a follower of God. And we don't know exactly, Paul doesn't say that, but he says there's contention. But Paul says, I don't care if they're preaching out of a goodness of heart, if they're preaching out of contentment against me. The gospel is being proclaimed and people are hearing the good news. And for that, Paul says, I rejoice. Now, rejoice is one of those words, comes from the, you know, the root for joy, um, a, the joy that Paul describes is central to a lot of his letters, but, but it's definitely central to this book of Philippians. This joy that Paul has, he can rejoice in, even in the midst of his suffering, even in this house arrest, even in these people that are out plotting against him because the gospel is advancing. Now, early on in my Christianity, I was, um, in my faith with Christ, I was, people said, well, there's joy, Christians have joy, and, and non-Christians have happiness. And sort of, I try to divide it up, and, you know, and, and I, I think that can be helpful, but the problem is that when you get to the Beatitudes, all the scholars will translate the Beatitudes, happy is the man who, you know, and so it's like, it kind of breaks down. But that's okay, you know, beginning with, I think the, the, the getting your mind around joy and happiness is more centered on the object of your focus, what are you joyous about? What are you focused in? I was running last night because it finally has relented in terms of the weather, right? I ran three miles. I thought I couldn't run anymore because it was just so darn hot. And, uh, and I'm running past these little boys playing basketball on a basketball court in their, in their, their street. I don't know if you have one at your house, Landon, but, but growing up, I had a basketball goal. And there was a time when my whole joy was centered on basketball, playing basketball after school. Now, we had a sloped driveway, not to digress too far, but we had a sloped driveway, so it went up. I know Danny likes to play basketball, right? So, but in my sloped driveway, it, it made for a unique shot when you got to that side of the court. And so my brother and I were the only people that could effectively shoot from that side of the court, which gave us a distinct advantage playing basketball, unless we were playing each other, which kind of canceled it out. I remember that, that that was sort of my focus, but, but as, I, as I look back, I can't remember the last time I played basketball. 
I don't have a basketball goal in my driveway. I've never thought about putting up a basketball goal because I've moved past that and that's the way it is. The object of our, our happiness or our joy can be in, in people, it can be in work, it can be in leisure, it can be in sports teams, good luck with that. It can be in all sorts of things. But Paul is communicating that the Christian joy, the Christian happiness the object of it is, in fact, God himself. This is why Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Paul is not somehow insinuating that, that there's no, no joy, no happiness in anything else in his life. Paul's got it pretty good. He's, he's on, in, under house arrest. He's living in Rome. Do you know how good the food is in Rome? It's amazing. I'm sure it was good in the first century as well, you know. But, but, but Paul is saying the, 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 the center the, the underlying purpose behind the joy in Paul's life is Christ. And because he's, his, he's centered on Christ Jesus, that is where his joy comes from. And that's why he rejoices. He rejoices in the Lord. Now, C.S. Lewis talks about this in a couple of his books, Surprised by Joy and the Weight of Glory. And Lewis talks about the idea that, that oftentimes we, that we, we find joy in things and like mine with basketball or whatever else and, and then as life progresses we, we focus on things but, but Lewis in Surprised by Joy says I came to the conclusion that in fact that when the things that I found joy in and happiness in were actually sort of the, the front and that what was really bringing me joy was behind those things they were sort of a, a, an afterburn or a, a, a reflection of that greater joy that was behind him and that ultimately Lewis says it's it's God God is the joy behind these things to to focus on those things just and, and to, exclusively is to make them idols and eventually our idols fail us they they aren't able to sustain the the weight we place on them but but the but they are longings for a greater joy and something more real and more definitive and worthy of our focus and it's in fact God behind them. So I don't know, it's kind of a deep quote, but it helps me get an understanding of this idea of, of this joy that Paul finds in Christ. Christ has become his joy to the point that he can say, for me to live is Christ. Now we always, I don't know about you, but when I normally hear that, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, I rush to the dying part because I'm human. And I don't care to die today, okay? I hope to live. I'm going to be careful driving home. You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to get sick. Let's, be, let's put the elephant in the room on the table. I don't want to get coronavirus. I don't want to die from it. I don't want to die today. But, but let's stay with the, I don't, the living for Christ. Because that's where Paul starts. To live is Christ. In the Greek, there actually isn't even a verb. It's just live Christ, die, gain. And the word for gain is profit. To die is to bring profit. But, but to live for Paul is Christ. Because Paul's come to see that the joy behind anything he's ever enjoyed in his, his life, his temporal life, is all focused and centered in a gift from God. And so rather than focusing on these things, he's found his joy in Christ. Which is why he can rejoice in suffering. Now, Paul says, I, I don't know how this verdict's going to go. I could be acquitted or I could be found guilty. 
And Paul knows that there's a chance that he'll be, if he's found guilty, he'll be executed. And so that causes Paul to kind of stop and think about that. And he says, I know you're fervently praying for me and I have faith and my expectation is that God is going to deliver me. But even if I, I die or live, I pray that God will be glorified in my body. And that causes Paul to kind of go, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I, I don't know if you're at that point, but you know, there, you know, we all experience huge letdowns in our lives. Relationship letdowns, um, economic letdowns, um, all sorts of letdowns. Things we want that God doesn't allow us to get. To come to the place of, of saying, you know, I really wanted that. I really did. But, I, but the Lord didn't give it to me. But Jesus is better. That's where Paul's at. I don't know if you're at that place, but, but that's, that's, the, that's the maturity that we're reaching for. That's what Paul's referring to, that Jesus is better. Yes, we would love to have these things. We wish God would work differently. We wish that, but Jesus is better. And so even if he doesn't give me that desire of my heart, he's better. My joy ultimately is in him. And to have him is worth far more than what I've been denied. Jesus is better. To live is Christ, Paul says. This is the thing. And so then he begins to say, well, to live is Christ. To die is gain. And Paul begins to contemplate. And it's almost like he kind of interrupts the, whether he's dictating this letter or writing it himself. He, he sort of begins to pause and say, you know, if, I, if, I, if I'm acquitted, it's, it's fruitful labor for you. It's better for you that I am acquitted because then I can come and I can invest in you and I can see you flourish. I can see you grow in your faith. But if I'm found guilty and I'm executed, I'm with Christ. I'm perfectly in his presence. And that which is the center of my joy, I receive in full. Now, let me just pause here to say, you know, death is, is in, a, in a sense, more before us right now than it has been for a long, long time. For us, 21st century Americans. But just to remember that what Paul is saying here, Paul is, Paul is making the statement that if I die tomorrow, that I will be instantly in the presence of Christ. He will be mine that moment. No linger, no wait. I am in the presence of Christ who has become the source of my joy. And if I can get to the source of my joy, well, that's far better. Paul is not saying my life is so hard that I want out. That's what Jonah is saying, right? You're not fair, God. I came here to curse these people and I did my part and now you're having mercy on them. I wish I could just die. That's not where Paul is. Paul is not, does not have bad wishes. One of my friends said, Paul is basically saying, you know, I would rather die than be your pastor one more day. That is not what Paul is saying. No, that's a bad interpretation. Paul is not wishing to die, but Paul is, he's contemplating it and saying, 
wait a minute, the, the source of my joy, the, the object of my joy is Christ. And, and to, to leave this earth, to go to be with him in eternity is to know that joy in perfection. Paul is completely vulnerable with us in this moment. But he says, but it's far better for you that I don't. It's far better for you that I, that I stay. And because I believe that the Lord has things for me to do with you, Philippians, I believe I will be acquitted and I will get to come to you. It's interesting, isn't there? I, I love that. We can get a whole other study of, of our prayer, praying with expectation, but set, at the same time being willing to relent if the Lord doesn't give you what you pray for. But if, Paul says, but if I come to Christ prematurely, I win. I have a buddy, Alan Hawkins, he says, you don't want me to come pray over you in your hospital room. He says, I'm not pastoral. He says, my pastoral counsel to people who are facing life-threatening surgery is to say, look, if you die, you win. You win. You get to be with Christ. He says, that's not helpful to people who are facing life and death surgery. And I, and, and I get it, and I'm, I'm not preaching that sermon, but, but there is a sense in which we, we do pray with expectation, but then we, we trust the Lord behind it. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I, I, I don't expect that, that I will be found guilty, but that I will be allowed to come back with you. We don't know if Paul got to go back to Philippi, but we know he prayed with that expectation The reason why Paul says, and I'm only going to go through verse 26 because tomorrow, I mean tomorrow, tonight, next week we're going to look at verse 27 and following. But, but, but the way Paul ends this is by saying, but, it, but to remain, verse 24, but to remain the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. The thing I want to say to you is that Paul is not expecting all of us to be able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain today. But he is saying that that is what we should be progressing towards. And then if we're still filling the blank in with, for me to live is and Christ, we're not yet there. And Paul says, I, will, I, I believe I will remain so that you may progress to this place where you, you, not, you progress to where you know the joy that comes in the faith, in God, that he is rejoicing in the Lord. That's not just a churchy expression. That's my joy is centered in the Lord. My joy is centered in Christ. And to know that joy is to be able to say, but Jesus, you're better. I'd rather have Jesus, right, the old hymn, than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than treasures unknown. Whew. If you heard, haven't heard Alison Krauss sing that, you haven't heard that song. Friends, this is what Christian joy is. It's unique. We can seek all sorts of things in our happiness, but, but Christian joy is unique. It's unique because it's centered in Christ, which is unshakable. Can we not love other things? Of course. Can we not enjoy other things? Of course. But ultimately, we see those as foretaste, as fruit of the joy that comes from Christ, that all things originate in Christ. And he becomes the source of our joy.
Paul realizes that the joy he has in the Lord is just a foretaste. And there's so much more. And so if, you've, if you like the foretaste, why wouldn't you long for that which is beyond it? That's the reason Paul can say, for me to die is gain. Well, just a couple of thoughts, just to keep stirring us. I told you this is a hard passage. If you were to fill it in today, for me to live is, would it be Christ? Or would it be Christ and? Be careful of the end. If you find that you, you say, Alex, well, I don't really, I don't feel like I know this joy that Christ has. My best advice to you is to find someone whose joy is completely in Christ and hang out with that person. The best way, that's the reason why Paul is saying these things to the Philippians is because he, he wants to see them progress to that place. And so there are people, I can give you some people if you don't know any, whose joy is in the Lord. And so be with those people. If that is your answer, if for you to live is Christ, then it is abundant, is it's important, I can't say the other word, but it's important that you hang out with those people for whom the joy is not rooted in Christ yet and help them grow to that place to see that joy comes from the Lord. The unique joy of the Christian life, the joy that can't be taken away. Lastly, is, is our hope in this world based upon the knowledge of Christ and his resurrection. I, I heard a, a tape interview by a, a person, he's actually somebody I know, and he said, well, given this tragic circumstance in his life, he said, how can you be a Christian? And this person has suffered greatly. And he said, well, because I don't start with that circumstance. He says, I start with the empty tomb. And as he said that, I began to cry just listening to this interview. Because I realized in that moment that, that, that what he was expressing was that once, once you know that the tomb is empty and that Christ has been victorious over death and that that, that risen Lord Jesus becomes your joy there's nothing you can't overcome. And there's nothing you won't be willing to give up. Let's pray. Father, we, we are not there yet, Lord. To live as Christ, to die as gain, to be, to be so centered in your joy, Lord. But we want it. We, we long for it. We know that you are the rock in which we can stand whether we live or whether we die. Father, we pray that, that for each member of this congregation that we would continue, that we would progress in view of those saints in our lives, Lord, who exemplify this joy of the Lord. And Lord, we pray that we would know that joy in the faith, not only now, but at the time of our death.
Amen.